and welcome to the Actually Autistic Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Onstad. Today I'm going to talk about what's referred to in the autistic community as special interests. A special interest is a topic that you are passionate about. That passion can bring a lot of joy. I developed a passion for the play A Midsummer Night's Dream when I was a little girl. That passion has continued for the rest of my life, and it led to other adjacent passions, such as mythology, stagecraft, history, herbalism, fairy lore, magic, 16th century crafts, and of course, Shakespeare. I have had other passions that are more hands-on, like scenic painting for theater and architectural design. These passions have meant that I have developed a lot of marketable skills and have used them all in multiple projects and jobs over the decades. Autistics in the grip of a special interest passion talk about info dumping. This is when an autistic will talk about their passion, excited to share the subject and what they have learned about it. This is a very useful skill if you are a writer or a teacher, but it's not always great at a social gathering unless you luck out and find someone who is interested in the same thing. However, I have also found that info dumping can be a very effective way to deal with trolls online. Someone decided to pick a fight with me about the origins of Dungeons & Dragons lore because they were claiming that Dungeons & Dragons is completely drawn from Viking lore who, according to them, were all white. This is undisguised, ahistorical, white supremacist nonsense, and it was conveyed with all the smug condescension that you would expect. However, they picked on the wrong nerd. I was only too happy to go full pedant. Do not taunt the happy fun pedant. What follows is an example of info dumping, in this case about the cultural and historical roots of the tabletop role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons. If this subject doesn't interest you, I apologize. Feel free to fast forward through it. Begin quote. Having read all of Tolkien, including the Silmarillion, I feel confident saying that your theories about the orcs being specifically Christian are not supported by the text, nor is a saw true anything other than a footnote in the many non-Christian religions that ebbed and flowed across Eurasia and still do. Tolkien's works owe a great deal to Hermeticists, who in turn borrowed heavily from Islamic texts, Jewish mysticism, and ancient Egyptian rituals. Ignoring the influence of the Demeter cult and Ephesian mysteries is also a grave error. Get it? Grave error? Tolkien's fae are based entirely on Elizabethan literature, including Spencer and Shakespeare, with a hearty dose of Welsh folklore. The only link with Norse mythology is the idea of a pantheon, which is hardly unique to the Norse. The Tolkien pantheon and lore owes more to the Etruscans and Chinese. The interesting thing is that you don't have to go very far back in time to find paganism, specifically Greco-Roman, enshrined in the British state religion. There were a few hundred years during the Renaissance where people believed that Hermes Trismegistus predated the Bible and was the higher authority. Very convenient for an island nation that had just rejected the Pope. And so Hermeticism flourished in the Elizabethan court, where Elizabeth was worshipped as the manifestation of the goddess Astraea. And, of course, John Dee, the real-life magician, obsessed with books, had a huge influence on Tolkien and Dungeons and & Dragons as a model for a wizard that had a tragic end. A powerful figure undone by his own human failings. Many of the academic institutions, which survived to this day, were founded during the Tudor dynasty and flourished during Elizabeth I's reign. James I did what he could, well... James I, or J. 
James VI, depending on which country you're talking about. Uh, anyway, he came after Elizabeth, and he did what he could to stamp out paganism. But what really did it was the revelation was that the Hermetic texts did not predate the Bible. Nonetheless, English education, even in Tolkien's day, was so steeped in the traditions of Elizabethan Hermeticism that its philosophy, as above, so below, was still being inculcated in young minds, and Latin and Greek were taught as a matter of course, so students could study the texts in the original. We know that Gygax, and that's the person who invented Dungeons and Dragons with some help from his friends, reached past Tolkien to design his magical systems. The humors and elemental theory came directly from Hermeticism and alchemy, which Tolkien barely touches. And it was something of a fad in the 60s for people of Gygax's age to read those old texts. Gygax clearly spent as much time reading the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the Tao Te Ching, Ovid, and Manly P. Hall's The Secret Teachings of All Ages, as all his other nerdy hippie friends did because you can see the influences of those books very clearly throughout his own work. And there's a reason that most fantasy worlds are set in the Tudor era with medieval clothing. It's because the English reinvented their past by glorifying their Roman history and bringing it into the Tudor courts. And since the Elizabethan era is still regarded as the last golden age in English culture, then it's understandable why people who speak English would draw from that era as a fantasy. And we do. Elizabethan-era hermeticism was everywhere in the 60s. The resurgence of astrology, herbal medicine, and homebrewing were all part of this same trend. The fact that Gygax systematized the cultural miasma he lived in is impressive, but not surprising. The original enemies of Elizabethan Hermeticism, the original enemies of Elizabethan Hermeticism were of course the Puritans, so it is hardly shocking when they continued to object to it hundreds of years later. They had no trouble recognizing their old enemy and created the moral panic of the 80s that drove Dungeons and Dragons underground for decades. The academic and scientific institutions are firmly Hermetic. The evangelicals are the direct descendants of the Puritan ethos, and so the battle rages on. All of the Puritans continue to rail against the Hermeticists today, and so the historical struggle between the Hermeticists and the Puritans is just as intense as it ever was. Unquote. I tell you all of this in this podcast right now, in part because it's fun. I love discussing this stuff but also to encourage my fellow pedants to do the same thing when dealing with a troll. Don't listen to their silly nonsense. Don't get wrapped up in their emotionalism. In most cases, blocking is the way to go. But once in a while, it's good to whip out that special interest and go to town. Now, here is your comforting word of the day. If you have a harmless special interest that you enjoy, that you love, that's your passion, continue to enjoy it and love it. Let it bring joy into your life. Ignore those people who minimize it or diminish it or say it's dumb, they're wrong, they don't know what the heck they're talking about, and I guarantee you that there are other people out there in the world who are just excited about that subject as you are. Ignore the haters, find your friends. Now, here's your joke of the day. To be clear, I do not write these. I stole them fair and square from anonymous lists on the internet. I just got fired from my job as a set designer. I left without making a scene. <laughs>
Thanks for hanging out with me on this mini episode of the Actually Autistic Podcast. If you are interested in hearing more of my content and like Shakespeare, then you are in luck. I have two podcasts, one called There Will Be Body and another one called The Twelfth Night Podcast by Rose City Shakespeare. I wrote a book called A Midsummer Night's Dream, Illustrated Handbook and Encyclopedia, and I'm also on a role-playing game podcast called Shattered Worlds RPG. I'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for being Actually Autistic.